The market is jittery and Bank of America gets some good news. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show, folks. It is Monday. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This year is David Hansen. And David, you're 84% today. Not That's feeling enough. great. Did you? Did you? Not bet? hungover for all you wondering. It's not. Did you bet on bad. the Broncos? Is that the problem? I did not, but I did pick them. I will say my my pick was completely wrong, but Demarius Thomas did set the Super Bowl record for catches, <laughs> so you give me some credit there. I said he would have a good game. Uh, I'm still saying that you're wrong, but nice try. It kind of continues your streak. We like you as a financial stock picker. Next football season, we'll bring somebody We did get an email that said, picks. David's picking the Broncos, so I literally put $100 on the Seahawks. So, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> there you go. All right, let's get... Oh, before we get to the headlines, uh, reminder that we're, we're coming up fast on the 100th episode. Uh, the competition is still going on. You can uh, find us on Twitter, at TMF Financials. Email us, WTMI at Fool.com, or... You can find us on Facebook, Motley Fool Financial Services. Tell us why you like uh, Where the Money Is, and you have a chance of winning a special limited edition Where the Money Is sweatshirt. Sounds good. And now the headlines. First headline of the day, we've got the Wall Street Journal. Stock investors brace for a bumpy ride. David, apparently uh, fund managers are moving away from the things that worked well last year because they want they want things that are safer. They want they want treasuries. They want gold. They want they want big companies paying dividends. Is this where you're going in 2014? It's possible. I, I have a okay. feeling I know what your answer is going to be here. Um, maybe I, I don't. I don't think it's a bad idea for fund managers to go where they see value. If they don't think small caps are a good value and offer good returns over the next decade, five years, then don't be in them. But if you're going to move around and jump from small caps to large caps to treasuries, wherever, I would say just maintain a consistent process. Don't deviate from your process and going over to those things. If you want good companies, look for those same good companies in large caps. Don't just say, well, everyone's going to large caps with big dividends. That's what I'm going to do. Stick with your process and go where you see value. There are two things that jumped out at me from this article. One was that large cap, small cap division that you're talking about. And the fact is is that small cap stocks, small cap indexes have outperformed large caps for a long time now. And that happens, but it also happens that large cap stocks end up outperforming small cap stocks for stretches as well. Uh, now this is a little bit of a, this is a little bit of macro market kind of stuff, but the fact is is that when you look at the small cap universe, stocks are expensive, and we don't want to turn away great companies uh, just because they they may look not at a bargain basement price. However, when you can't find small cap stocks at reasonable prices then it makes it tougher to buy. The other thing that jumped out to me uh, is that one of the fund managers said that 2014 may end in gains, but it's going to be a hard year. Now, here's, here's the thing. All the time, investing is hard. When you're trying to beat the market, all the time, investing is hard. And if you ignore that, I, I think you're just going to get yourself into trouble. Trying to, find, uh, trying to find companies that are great, and that are at reasonable prices, and then having the, the behavioral wherewithal, the, the zen, the, the comfort of owning companies for a long time to be able to stick with these investments, that's all hard. And it's all hard all the time. Right. I think long term, 
beating the market is is very hard. Short term, it's easy. I mean, you could have been uh, an, any investor could have picked a handful of stocks in 2013 and done really well. So if you're looking at this market drop to start the year, maybe it's a little bit of a humbling experience. But that's luck. Yeah, it, there's a lot of luck involved. Long term, you have to maintain your process, find good companies, and hold them. So, uh, yes, stick with what you're what you're. Good second at. headline. Second headline. Finally, some good news from Bank of America, right? Is it? Fine. Judge partially approves $8.5 billion pact between Bank of America and investors. Now, this was the pact that was originally agreed upon in summer of 2011. Bank of New York Mellon served as the trustee for a bunch of private investors, and they settled with Bank of America. And this was to say, was it reasonable? Did they act in good faith? Did they make a good settlement for all the investors? And the judge said, kind of. Mostly. Uh, Mostly. Mostly, Yes. There was one part where the judge said Bank of New York Mellon acted in an unreasonable way and they did not investigate some of the investors' claims that they need to look into some loans that were modified rather than loans that were just made in a very bad way and misrepresented. So most of the settlement is approved, but there is this tiny piece that is not. So you're not thinking this is good news? It's kind of good news. I'm thinking it's good news. It's, most, it's more good news than bad news. Okay. And, and yet the stock was down on Friday. It was down. I, I think that's a little bit of... A perfect example, we talked about on Friday, mortgage REITs. You can't wait two years for them to have, okay, everything looks good, now you buy mortgage REITs. You've seen that with Bank of America. You can't wait till these things to happen. If you would have waited two years ago and said, man, well, I'm just going to wait to see if this gets approved, ultimately, you've seen the multiple at Bank of America almost double since yeah. that time from a price tangible book perspective in a time where it was still in a state of limbo. So you can't try this to is already based, things. This is baked in. Exactly. Yeah. So... Like a That's delicious cake. Very delicious. $8.5 billion maybe cake. Maybe I didn't have enough break, breakfast. Did you have breakfast? Maybe that's why you're 84 I did have breakfast, yes. Always. Most important. All right. Third headline of the day. We're going to the dividend tip sheet where the payouts are, where payouts are growing the fastest. This is from Bloomberg. Uh, David, you, you threw this one in on me at the last minute. So t- tell me, tell me what's, what's great about this. This was interesting because I think they had 20, 25 companies where they project or analysts project dividend payouts to grow the most. And the top five companies were all financials and we're a financial show. So they're giving us some love. And the top five were Discover, Progressive, SunTrust, Regions, and Citigroup. So those top three, SunTrust, Regions, and Citigroup, all have something in common. They did not fare too well during the financial crisis. Their dividends are very, very low right now. Mm-hmm. So those payouts have a lot of room to grow as opposed to some of these companies like a Procter & Gamble that are already paying out a lot of their earnings. Now, here's my question to you, and not to throw you under the bus here, but I'm going to throw you under the bus. When you picked the Broncos to win the Super Bowl, you got people betting on the Seahawks. Now, you've got Wall Street analysts here picking these as the biggest dividend growers. Is that reason to bet on them or bet against them? I wouldn't blindly bet for them. Uh, I think there's some interesting points here how we talked about how consensus is still not great around investing in banks. And we talk about it and we think uh, it's getting better. But We think it's wonderful. But mostly, most people want to stay away from banks. Oh, well, they pay one cent dividend. I don't want anything to do with that. This will just be another kind of thing that pushes people towards financial stocks. Yeah, I think the perception changes significantly when all of a sudden Citigroup is, is paying a reasonable dividend, Bank of America is paying a reasonable dividend. I think that would have a big impact on investor psyche, whether or not it's the best move for right. those banks. As we've talked about before, the capital planning process is coming up. Uh, we'll get the results of that in March. And 
maybe they'll be looking to raise their dividends. They'll probably be looking to get approved for share buybacks. And right now, particularly I would say for Citigroup, share buybacks may be the better route, but from an investor feel goodiness kind of standpoint, Mm -hmm. maybe the dividend's a better call. Perhaps. All right, uh, we're going to move on to the focus for today. And the focus is on oh, – this is, this is so exciting. This is the, the office of uh, the comptroller of the currency, the OCC. Yes. Uh, one of the key bank re- regulators, and this is the Survey of Credit Underwriting Practices. Woo! So, yeah, yeah, right? This is – it doesn't get more exciting than this. Um, this is looking at 86, uh, 86 banks with assets of $3 billion or more. Um, and, and basically looking – this is the, the regulators, the examiners – checking out these banks, talking to the lenders, and trying to figure out where lending standards are going yep. uh, and, and whether uh, they're, they're tightening standards, whether they're loosening standards. This is a great indicator for us and for bank investors to say, well, are things really still pretty tight out there? Are, are banks really still hanging on to their money? Or are things loosening up? And right off, I'll, I'll kick it off by saying one of the things that I thought was a little bit interesting was that when it comes to commercial lending, uh, in terms of bankers giving reasons for, um, for, for tightening or loosening standards, the economic outlook was cited as reasons for both in, in, in basically equal, uh, equal portions. So, so they were saying, we're loosening standards because of the economic outlook. And then others were saying, we're tightening standards because of the economic outlook. So I think, once again, we've got a sign here that when it comes to the broad economy, Nobody really knows what's going on. Right. Uh, in terms of the large corporate, so commercial looking at business loans, large corporate, they saw a lot of easing there. It's basically banks saying, please borrow from us. <laughs> but the, the, the corporate clients, they have so much cash sitting so on the bank's cash, balance sheet. So much cash. And they say, well, we're fine. We have all this cash. Why do we need to take out what's loans? App, what's Apple need from a, from a bank right now? Exactly. Um, so it, it was interesting. There are some areas that they say they saw easing with indirect consumer auto loans, uh, I think, is probably the big driver behind that, credit cards, and then the large corporate there. So those are areas that it's starting to get a little bit easier. Whether you think that's a good thing mm-hmm. or a bad thing, it's kind of up in the air. I like to think about easing standard and lending standards as a pendulum. We usually sway way too far to the one end yeah. where we give credit to everybody and it doesn't matter. And then, like we saw in 2009, swung way too far back where nobody's lending at all. And you can see that they have charts from 2009, basically 0% of people said that we're, we are easing standards. That's obviously not what we want quite there. So we're never going to be right in the sweet spot. It's going to be very few and far between, but that's where we want to get. It looks like we're getting a little bit closer to the center, still maybe on the tight side. Exactly. And I think, I think that's a good explanation that you're using with the pendulum. And what we're going to want to watch for <clears throat> is what happens when the pendulum starts to swing too far again. Based on, based on this survey, I, I still think, it, and, and it's not a question of if it will swing too far. Right. It's, it's when it does it swing, at what point does it swing too far. And based on this survey, I, th- I think we're still in the early part of the swing, in the early innings, if we want to switch it to a, a baseball metaphor. Um, but um, but, but as, that, as that goes forward, we'll want to keep an eye on it. And when I talk about wanting to own banks like Citigroup, for example, that, has not, that did not fare well at all through the last uh, down credit cycle. Mm-hmm. At that point, when, when you start to see so much loosening going on, credit standards getting a little too far out of whack, that's the point where, you, where the rubber really meets the road. And you've got to say to yourself, is this a bank? And, and this, is, this goes to Citigroup. This could go to Regions Financial, too, which you just mentioned before. Uh, a lot of the banks that didn't perform well last cycle, at that point, you've got to look at them and say, 
have they really changed in terms of the way that they're doing things? Because if they haven't, you don't want to own them at that point. Right. At that point, you you want to be just with the with the best of breed, with the guys who are uh, analyzing risk right. The reason that I would recommend a stock like Citigroup, a, a company like Citigroup, let's say, is because I think things are changing. And I think under uh, Mike O'Neill and Mike Corbett, uh, they're getting back to basics, doing better banking. But I want to be sure of that before the next credit cycle comes around. I'm sure all of our listeners are out there rushing to their computers to read this report right now, maybe. But I would say that you should There's a lot of pictures in it. You should take these with a little bit of a grain of salt, in my opinion, because these aren't going to come out and be a glaring red sign that says, credit's gone too far, it's about to be, there's about to be a recession and a crisis. You're, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I don't know. I don't know when you... I don't know if they're exact... These... I don't know if they're exact predictors, especially when you look at one sentence said, the survey indicates that 70% of responses expect the overall le- level of credit risk to remain unchanged or increase over the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. So basically, no one can even envision anything bad happening. Everything's going to be the same or get better. So it's possible that things can still happen to knock this off. Now, one area that I will point out as being just a little bit worrisome to me, I, maybe worrisome is overstepping it at this point, but credit cards, mm-hmm. you mentioned. It looks like there's a lot of easing going on with credit cards. And we've talked a couple times in this show about how uh, credit card lending looks like a great place to be right now because you're still getting spread in, in a world where interest rates are so low that the, that the spread between what banks can lend on real estate loans, for instance, and, and what their, their funding cost is, that's very thin. Mm-hmm. But when you think about what they're getting on credit card loans versus what their funding cost is, and then even when you take into account the credit costs, the higher credit costs of uh, lending on credit cards, you still get a ton of income there. And part of that is because credit has been we, – we haven't seen the big downturn, the, the, the big uh, huge charge-offs on credit card portfolios that I think were expected. So we got a lot of uh, lenders getting in there. Um, and, and one that, uh, that I'll be keeping an eye on, which would be kind of interesting, is it seemed like Bank of America had kind of slowed down its charge into credit cards. Yep. And we had kind of seen Bank of America slow down its charge into the mortgage market. And then when rates were low, when everybody was making tons of money on refinancing, Bank of America came back in late. Right. And when it comes to this, the credit cards here, at least for the lenders, and again, let's not get Visa and MasterCard confused here because they just it's provide different. the processing. Yeah. They're, they're not the lenders. Uh, so when it comes to the lenders, I want to see if Bank of America is, is able to handle this well or whether they're charging into the game late again. Very interesting. All right, we're going to go on to the mailbag. We have a email address. It's WTMI at fool.com. Send us an email. We love, we love emails. There's nothing that we like more than emails. And with you at 84%, was it 84 87%? It's, it's going down to 82%. Whoa. And with David at 82%, Crumbling. we need all the emails we can get today. Our question for the day comes from Zen. Zen writes, if you were offered the following three things, 5,000 Rembini, an unlocked iPhone 5S, 32 gigabit, or one Bitcoin. And you get to keep one, but with the catch that you must hold on to it and not sell it or trade it for at least three years. Which one would you pick? I don't know the conversion from the Chinese currency, full disclosure. I should have looked that up. Do you know what it is? I should have looked it up as well. So, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm assuming they're, they're on a like-to-like basis. Let, let's assume that they're on a like-to-like basis. So, okay. uh, Bitcoin is $800 to $1,000, we'll right. call it. Uh, the iPhone, let's call it the same. And so, so which you got to hold it for three years? Three years. I'm going to go with the iPhone. I think that's the safest bet. Really? I think it is. You've got the hardware in there, the chips. Technology will change, but I think you still got some valuable things in there. 
I don't, with Bitcoin, I just don't know if the value will be there. I, I think the service will still be there, but I feel safer holding the physical iPhone. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with the Bitcoin. Okay. And, and, and again, we, we've, we've been through this kind of exercise before, and I don't want this to make, make me sound like some kind of uh, crazy Bitcoin bull because I'm not. I, I, think it's an, I think it's an interesting technology, and I don't think of it as a currency. I think of it more as a way of exchanging value. Uh, the Chinese currency, I, I, I don't know. That's I, I don't know anything about it. So, Circle of so, confidence, yeah, not exactly. in yours. Uh, the iPhone, that's just going to lose value. You're losing value there. You're guaranteed. Technology moves so fast. Next year, there's going to be some exciting new iPhone, and your iPhone that you're hanging on to is going to be worth less. So I'm okay. going with the Bitcoin. All right, all right. That's fair. All right, moving on to our game for today. We have a little graded. Making the grade. Making he always grade. gets that wrong. I always get it wrong. <laughs> I, I don't pay attention to those details. Making the grade. Yes. So we're going to pre- present a, a few scenarios here, and for each of the scenarios, we are going to draw up our beautiful artistic rendering of what we think about that scenario. First scenario, David, we've got the approval of the Bank of America settlement. So Bank of America has uh, been given approval for most of the $8.5 billion settlement over private mortgage securities. And uh, what what uh, what should investors be taking? This is a little weird. That is, I don't even know. This is a, that's a Bank of America investor, and they were they were biting their nails because, like we said in, earlier in the show, this could really only go badly for them if it would have been completely uh, shot down by the judge there. So the valuation had already creeped up, had already kind of leaned towards the way that it would get approved when you look at it trading. Well above tangible book value now. It wasn't the market wasn't anticipating a huge hit to, to Bank of America's bottom line here. So if it would have been completely thrown back to to the drawing board, maybe that would have been an issue. I know some people had the estimates. Maybe it creeps up to thirty, forty billion dollars instead of eight point five. So they were biting their fingernails. It's all good now. All right, got my little cartoon guy here, and uh, and he's shrugging. He's shrugging. And he's saying, "Man, it's like we said earlier in the show." The the, the settlement here, I think, was, was baked in to the, to the price already. I, I, I think there was every expectation that this was going to get approved, and I think we got that. And, and the part that wasn't approved, I think, was more of a disappointment than, than adding to the excitement because of the expectations of this getting approved. So I think for Bank of America shareholders, what the real outcome was was avoiding uh, a, a big hit exactly. if it wasn't approved. Yep. Second scenario. Got KKR opening its first Spain office. This is the the hedge fund giant or the private equity giant right. opening up in Spain. Giving that an A plus. Going traditional here. That's an A plus by KKR there. Spain. If you mention that to anybody, they say I'm never touching that economy. Unemployment of people under 25 is something 50 percent. Overall unemployment 25 percent. Why would anyone go there? They're going where the opportunity is. They must see value there. And hey, I lived in Barcelona for a little bit. That is a nice. Nice place. Spain is a nice country. Temperate climate. That's an A plus. You know what that is? Dollars. That's a whole lot of dollar signs. And if I had if I had more time, I probably would have drawn more dollar signs. KKR knows where the money is. They're going after uh, where the money is. Ha! <laughs> That's the name of our show. Uh, they're going after it there. I, I think the like you said, a lot of a lot of investors uh, are avoiding. Spain because of uh, concerns over the macro economy, and KKR is getting away from that, and that's uh, potentially a big winner for them. 
Moving on to our third and final scenario, we've got making the grade Peyton Manning's legacy. We couldn't leave it all to Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless. We had to exactly, him, right? exactly. All right, so this is an interesting one here. Here's my scenario here. This is Peyton Manning's little timeline and his legacy there. It's been going up, has a few bumps in the road. This is right now, not great in the legacy, dipping down. But as time goes on, I think we'll start to realize that he was pretty darn good. We, we do that in, in society. As people kind of stay out of the limelight as they're retired, we hold them in higher light. So he'll be fine in the long run, I think. What is that? What do you got there? This is a before and after. That's a football that's a deflated football. That's what his legacy looks like right now. That was, I mean, it's, it's not all on Peyton what happened last night, but that was awful. That was hard to watch. I, as one of my friends uh, tweeted on Twitter last night, he wanted to, to anxiety puke for Peyton Manning, and I couldn't agree more watching that game, watching that first play. And it was was just so painful. Uh, I think you're right. I think with time, with time, it'll come back. That football will. Hey, John Elway lost three Super Bowls. Let's remember that. And everyone thinks he's amazing. So. I mean, Joe, Joe Namath. I mean, he's wearing that coat that he wore last exactly. night, and somehow his holding legacy, on to his legacy. His legacy just plummeted. His, his must be ironclad if he thinks he can go out exactly. in that coat and be be okay. All right, let's finish off the day in the Twitter sphere. Uh, David, what's our first tweet? Our first and last tweet is from Neil Irwin, the great economics writer. He says, well, that was fast. Bernanke joins Brookings, effective today, as distinguished fellow in residence. Must be nice. I mean, Janet Yellen gets sworn in, and you leave, and you get a new job waiting for you. Not bad. Do you think that's surprising? Do you think he had to submit it's a resume? It's not surprising, but it just uh, must be nice. <laughs> if, if, I were, if I were Ben Bernanke, my resume would look like this. I was fed chair. Fed Chief, even better. Fed Chief. I would just give them this. It would be handwritten. I wouldn't even put it on a computer. I would just be like, here's my resume. How much more is Ben Bernanke making now as opposed to when he was in office? It's, it is enough for me to say considerably? That's enough. Considerably more? He's going to be okay. I think he can finally upgrade from that Ford Focus. Is, he, is that what he's driving? That's what the reports were. Are, are, you, st- are, are you continuing the, advertise- the, the, the brutal advertisements for Ford? That we saw last night. That's what they should have done. They should have had Ben Bernanke, ben Bernanke. upgrade. Who sells cars better than Everybody ben knows who Ben Bernanke is on the national stage. Oh, Everybody. man. Absolutely. Well, that's the show for today. Uh, as always, the show uh, brought to the WTMIers by The Motley Fool. Email WTMIoffer at fool.com to get a special free report. Uh, this details some of Warren Buffett's greatest wisdom. We can be found on Twitter at TMF Financials. We can be found on Facebook, Motley Fool Financial Services. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. This over here is David Hansen. We will see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.